Welcome to Tim Talk, the newest channel of the Scraptitude Podcast Network, where I take you coast to coast, examining the odds for upcoming UFC events. Consider this both a preview and a staple of the Scraptitude offering as we pioneer the betting sphere. All numbers are products of the Scraptitude database because the biggest barrier between you and a bag of money is information. Scrap, scrap, scrap. I'm mean, I'm fierce, I'm mad, I'm rude, I got that pro fighter attitude I'm in the octagon with the podcast on, let's talk about it on Scraptitude You know I've been the best, grab my belt and begin to flex So wild, I might hit the rep, we got the winner's circle segments And the two on five takeaways with Tim and Jeff So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do, whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Scraptitude, so just kick back Grab a brew, it's fight night, so you know what we have to do Whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Scraptitude, yeah Scrap, 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 yeah Hey everybody and welcome to this first episode of Tim Talk. I'm so fucking thrilled to be here because this has taken a ton of effort, like way more than I expected. But here we are with eight pages of data to sort through and I'm going to do my best to get it to you quickly. These episodes are intended to be quick. I know y'all don't want to hear me talk that long and to be honest, I'm the one who has to deal with me all day. I don't want to hear that either. We want to get in and get out. This is going to be the car wash of UFC analysis. And y'all going to come out squeaky clean. First and foremost, I'd like to give a shout out to my Scrap 2 colleagues. That's Jeff, Jack, Clay, and Dylan. Without them, this kind of production isn't possible. Follow them all on Twitter. I'll tag them in the podcast, so you, uh, the podcast description so you can find all of them excellent follows, and the new wave of analytical prowess. Before I start, I just want to touch on the film versus data debate. As somebody who often speaks in hyperbole, I have been condescending to the quote-unquote film grinders, and I want to be clear. I love this sport. I've been watching it for over a decade, and I fell in love with it not because I'm a numbers nerd, but because I like cage fighting. I like watching the violence unfold, and I love the art and the science, how it intersects. So when I start talking about film grinding, what I'm talking about is the drawn-out methodological observation that is oftentimes used to fetishize one's own intellect, if you will, that hyper-focuses on certain details, but sometimes can leave out the bigger picture. I believe that Watching film is both more enjoyable and a necessary component of being a strong analyst. I also believe that data helps provide an additional level of objectivity and may uncover patterns that we did not see in watching the film unfold. So together these two work in conjunction to provide a holistic picture of a fight. And I believe the latter category, the data, is the most underdeveloped across all sports. So in mixed martial arts, there's a huge opportunity for growth here, and us at Scraptitude are trying to expand upon this opportunity and deliver y'all unique information that you can mobilize to make yourself some money. With that said, let's get down to business. 
The first fight on the card that I'm reviewing is Claudio Puelas versus Jordan Levitt. Both are grappling first fighters, and Levitt is currently a 2-1 favorite on FanDuel, DraftKings, and MyBookie. While I think he's the favorite, I don't have the odds quite that slanted. They're both relatively inexperienced in the mixed martial arts realm, and we don't really know a lot about Claudio Puelas. He's got a lot of heart, he's got a grappling first approach, but there's a lot of things yet to be uncovered. He's something of a black box prospect. And let me tell you why. At 25 years old, he's coming off a 21-month layoff. At that age, you have the capacity to grow exponentially in that time. We just saw Brian Ortega enter the age apex after a two-year layoff and show a lot of new wrinkles to his game against Korean Zombie. That could be the case here for Poilus. And we don't know what adjustments he's made at Sanford MMA. He just completed his first camp there and he's been raving about the experience. While I see Levitt as the favorite as they're both inclined to grapple and Levitt seems to have the prowess there, this isn't Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, this is mixed martial arts. They're going to be locked in a cage and the 2-1 to one odds are far too extreme in my opinion. Next up we have Sean Woodson versus Yusuf Zalal. Across the odds makers, Woodson is a favorite, almost 2-1 to one if you're looking on DraftKings. And you know what? I agree. This one is pretty cut and dry numbers wise. Woodson is younger and more experienced with a far superior strength of schedule. Zalal is an unorthodox and athletic fighter, but he's persistently vulnerable and I'm worried at 28 years old he hasn't patched major holes in his game. I expect Zalal to try to counter the activity of Woodson with takedowns and I expect Woodson to in turn deny control time. This is going to result in primarily a striking affair in which I don't think Zalal has the ring craft necessary to sculpt the majority of rounds necessary to win a decision. He just has too much room for exploitation and the age-adjusted experience of Sean Woodson is going to get him the W here. Our next fight is Montana De La Rosa versus Ariane Lipsky. De La Rosa is almost a 3-1 to favorite. Uh, according to FanDuel, little less than that by DraftKings and MyBookie. While I have her as a favorite, once again, those odds are too stark. Neither of these women are particularly good. And a 3-1 to favorite, I just don't know how you can make that mental leap. De La Rosa does, however, have the edge striking and grappling. My issue with those numbers is that her strength of schedule has been lacking. Borderline pathetic. While I think... While I see things slanted for De La Rosa because of her ability to notch takedowns, she's scored one in almost every fight, as well as Lipsky's acceptance of control time, I still think that there's room for volatility here. And I think the best bet is that this one goes to a decision. A fight that I'm more excited for is the ensuing bout I have in my list, which is Manon Faroe versus Tabitha Ritchie. And sorry if I butcher any of these names. My goal here isn't to be a linguist. It's to provide you with information in context. Faroe is the biggest favorite on the card, uh, breaching minus 500 on multiple odds makers. And that's totally justified. I had her as a minus 400, but that's before even looking at what the odds makers had to say. What that means is that Faroe's probably going to beat that ass. Her strength of schedule is just far superior. 
even though both have little experience. But little experience is probably too complimentary for Tabitha Ritchie, whose opponents have totaled a combined four wins. Four wins. Total. All of her opponents. Combined. She also took this fight on less than a week's notice. Now, Firo is a formidable striker. She wins fights by knockout, and I think she scores one here. It's not so different from the Dvorak fight uh, that we saw two weeks ago where he took an underqualified opponent on short notice. Faroe's going to get her out of there. Odds not yet available on a TKO victory, but that's my bet. Next up is Alan Patrick versus Mason Jones. Mason Jones is another substantial favorite, anywhere between minus 300 and minus 320, and I believe that these odds are justified. Alan Patrick is a 37-year-old wrestler who has seen his wrestling prowess decline as he has continued to age. That spells trouble against Mason Jones, who chews up broken glass and spits out nails. Just watch his fight with Mike Davis. This man is relentless, a nightmare for a Twilight fighter like Alan Patrick. Jones also has a surprisingly high strength of schedule despite his limited experience with a far less padded resume than Patrick. He's won 36% of his fights by TKO and I see him adding another one here against an aging and limited veteran. Somebody who also lost his first fight by TKO two fights ago. Just spells uh, a finish in my opinion for Mason Jones which is currently plus 120 on my bookie, the best odds I could get between FanDuel, DraftKings, and my bookie. Following that bout, we have Francisco Trinaldo versus Muslim Salikov. This is about I spent a lot of time reviewing. I wanted to get some film on this one because I was wondering why Salikov is such a favorite. I believe it's because people see the number, 42, the age of Francisco Trinaldo. And they're like, well, 42-year-olds don't win in combat sports. And I am highly inclined to agree with you. However, Salikov, at 36 years old, has something of an underwhelming mixed martial arts resume. He substantiates that with a lengthy career as a Sanda fighter, a five-time Sanda champion. For those of you who don't know, Sanda is a form of Chinese kickboxing that also incorporates some throws. It does have practical applicability in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm not denying that. But what I will say about Salikov is he's a low-volume fighter who relies on pinpoint counter-striking and lots of spinning shit. Now, I haven't been overly impressed with what I've seen, and I'm not overly impressed in the data. Trinaldo has multiple ways to win this fight and has proven the superior problem solver in the context of MMA. You look at his resume, and he's fought the who's who of the lightweight division for years. Now, this is his first move up to the welterweight weight class, so he'll be fighting a slightly bigger man. But you can't discount the experience here of Trinaldo. It's hard to bet on the old guy, but the odds are kind of asking for it here with the money line of a with a plus two oh five money line on FanDuel for Trinaldo. Tanner Boser versus Isler Latifi is, well, it's probably not going to get you out of your seat. While I give Tanner Boser a 10 out of 10 on his mullet, I have a hard time assigning him 2-1 to one favoritism. Latifi has proven power with a 1.9 KD ratio. That means he knocks down opponents nearly two times per 100 significant strikes landed. 
very high considering our database. He also lands 0.67 takedowns per round. For me, this paints a picture where Latifi could easily steal two rounds in this fight. Boser is a solid but unspectacular striker, and while he has solid takedown defense, I just haven't seen anything from him that really shines, per se. Latifi is a solid veteran, and if Bozer's going to win here, it's probably going to be on volume, but I don't see him disposing of Latifi. I think that it's best to stay away from this one betting-wise, as the odds aren't quite attractive enough for me to venture into Latifi. I do think Bozer's a favorite. I just think that the odds are out of control on this one. Maquan Amirkani versus Kamuela Kirk is another fight that drew my attention. I saw Amirkani as a significant favorite over 2-1 to one on most bookies, and I raised an eyebrow. I just don't think he's that caliber of fighter, or it would really have to speak to the caliber of fighter that he's competing against. Well, Amir Khani is the more experienced of the two. He's the older of the two by five years, 32 to 27, both within that age apex, both uh, in a time of prime performance. <laughs> God, I had another quantification joke here about how good-looking Amir Khani is, but I think I used that up on the uh, 10 out of 10 comment on Tanner Bozer's mullet. Don't want to be too redundant here. Uh, however, I am able to get in and quantify some of the performance of Amir Khani. And he just hasn't been that good. Every time he stepped up in competition, he's failed. And we could say Kamuela Kirk is not that step up, especially after we saw his loss in the Contender Series to Billy Quarantillo. However, I think that this kid has something. He's a versatile fighter and a solid athlete. The hiccup for his chances are his preference to engage with opponents as a grappler, and that won't work here, but I do like Kirk better than the odds suggest. He's finished 10 of 11 pro fights. He took this fight on one and a half weeks notice, but that's in the context of having just pulled off a second round stoppage on May 14th. Therefore, and it's also possibly a tougher fight for Amir Khani than his originally slated bout versus Nate Landwehr, who has dropped two of his three previous. Add all that up together, and I believe that this is a sneaky spot for an upset. Kirk is coming in fresh, motivated, and neither guy really had time to prepare for the skill set of the other. Tom Breeze versus Antonio Arroyo is another fight where I actually agree with the odds. Breeze is currently a strong favorite in ICY according to the numbers. His experience for his age absolutely trounces that of Arroyo. That said, Arroyo's problems have mostly arisen from people taking him down, which Tom Breeze is not likely to do. However, I like problem-solving capacity, and age-adjusted experience underlines that ability. Arroyo's won just 69% of his bouts in his career and has failed to notch his first UFC win after scoring two on Dana White's Contender Series. I actually think the odds could maybe be more slanted in Breeze's favor, and I'm looking at that minus 250 number on FanDuel and my bookie. I think that he's a good addition to your parlays. Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Michael Beza. A lot of us want to see Ponzinibbio get back on track. He's, his fall from contendership has been one of the saddest career arcs since TJ Grant. Just look at our recent YouTube video at the Ballad of Ponzinibbio if you want an uncouth description of his trials and tribulations. 
And now he's taking on a hungry, young knockout artist in Michael Beza, who has accumulated three consecutive finishes in the UFC. While Ponzinibbio is undoubtedly the more tenured and accomplished fighter, he hasn't looked himself after the two-year layoff. The bone bacteria got him, and unfortunately it happened while he was in the prime of his career. He was never particularly fast, never particularly elusive, and we don't know what that took from him. What we do know is Ponzinibbio did not look himself in his previous fight. My guess is Beza chops the lead leg early and sets up something big. I just can't have confidence betting Ponzinibbio or trusting his data set until he demonstrates that he's returned to form. And that may never happen. Roman Dolize versus Laureano Staropoli. I'm going to start by saying I think Dolize should be a bigger favorite than he is. Maybe twice as big of a favorite as he currently is. I haven't done a lot of film observation for this fight, but just by the numbers, there is a stark contrast. Especially when you consider the matchmaking in that we have a guy who fought welterweight his last fight in Staropoli, taking on somebody who fought at light heavyweight previously in Dolize. Now they're meeting at the middle, in the middle, at middleweight no less, and I have a hard time seeing how that benefits the guy who is the lower of the weight classes. While the height and reach proportions are similar, Dalazay does project to be the girthier man, and as a former ADCC Asia champion, I think that's going to help him in grappling exchanges, leveraging his strength, and perhaps securing a submission. Starpoli also dropped his last two at welterweight to Tim Means and Muslim Salikov. Dalize is a solid counter-striker, not a real high-volume guy, but he's technical and could exploit some of the same gaps that Salikov found. While there's a possibility Starpoli looks like the best version of himself at 185 pounds, I think he's the less skilled and smaller man. Hammer that Dalize money line if he looks good on the scale tomorrow. Or today. This is Friday. Right on. Walt Harris versus Marcin Tybura. This, as a co-main event, is, well, dubious. The 37-year-old Walt Harris is looking to get back on track, and Juice, the co-host of the Friendly Sparring Pod, had a question pertaining to him. He wanted to know what his boy's chances are, and I intend to get into that. If you haven't, though, check out the Friendly Sparring Pod. Uh, they do a great job. Juice and Leo ton of fun. Recommend them. Just top-notch commentary. I'll phrase Walt Harris's chances this way. He should never have sniffed a co-main event slot on the premise of talent alone. The one variable that separates him from nearly everyone is his earth-shattering power. He ranks second in the Scraps 2 database in knockdown rate among fighters with 10 or more UFC bouts behind only the formidable, the legendary, the devastating Francis Ngannou. Marcin Tybura has also been dropped four times in his UFC career by far lesser punchers. It's a great story if Walt Harris wins. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that we're going to get there. An An enthusiastic backer could consider the first round KO money, which is plus 650 on FanDuel. Not bad considering the lethality that he possesses. However, after that first round, Walt Harris ain't the same guy, and I see Tybura's toughness allowing him to extend his win streak to five after weathering the early storm. 
Jairzino Rosenstruck and Augusto Sakai is our main event of the evening, and the odds makers uniformly agree that Jairzino is a slight favorite. In my opinion, I think he's a slightly bigger favorite, but I can also see room for Sakai to win this one. Let me preface this though by saying that I'm tired of heavyweight main events. If they don't deliver a finish in the first two rounds, the remaining three generally aren't worthwhile from a spectating standpoint. I'm also staying away from this one, even though I think Jair Zeno Rosenstruck should be a little bit bigger favorite. Sakai has shown good durability and cardio during his UFC stint, and he's also a high-volume fighter. Rosenstruck struggled to show urgency, just reference that last fight against Cyril Gaon, where, well, if you were able to stay awake for it, power to you. Sakai does, however, fight with a reckless abandon that makes his chin available. He got caught with big shots by Blagoj Ivanov and Andrei Arlovsky. He's there to be hit. And Jair Zeno's a tenured and powerful counter-striker. It just spells bad things if Augusto Sakai is too reckless, something he's prone to being. So in the first half of this fight, Jair Zeno Rosenstruck to me has a significant advantage with his striking acumen. And in the latter half of the fight, I can see Augusto Sakai's attrition and his cardio wearing Rosenstruck down. I think this one has a sneaky potential to go to his decision, but with the sheer volatility of heavyweights, I'm going to let this one slide. That's going to be it for today, y'all. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this provision, and if you did, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We're reliant on word of, word of mouth marketing at this time, so if my advice or just the data that you pulled from this podcast helped make you some cash this weekend, do us a favor and tell your friends. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Timothy E. Lewis. You can find Scraptitude on Instagram and Twitter at Scraptitude on YouTube at Scraptitude Philly. Uh, I appreciate y'all listening one more time. Subscribe, rate, and review. Thank y'all so much. Have an awesome weekend.